The 3P Champions podcast is brought to you in part by Art in Motion, where we create moving pictures. Send us your family photos, home movies. Give us a call. We'll do a Zoom interview with you. Turn it into a loving, customized tribute. It'll be the greatest gift you'll ever give. You can find us at www.artinmotion.tv. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of 3P Champions. I'm Rob Stoller in Philadelphia with... Greg Stern here in Seattle. That's right. Sternomatic. Our 3P Champion today is a really unusual guy, as all of our 3P Champions are, guys and girls, so to speak. Casey Manning has had stellar careers in several different areas. And like many of our featured champions, he started out in sports. He started playing basketball as a youngster. He was a sensational high school player, I think averaging 31 his junior year, 35 or close to it. His senior year was recruited by a lot of major schools, and he ended up being the first black scholarship athlete to play basketball at South Carolina. And as you'll hear early on, Casey knew he wanted to be a lawyer when he was young, and he became a lawyer and sort of had a judgeship thrust upon him. He became the Fifth Circuit Court judge, and he just recently retired after, I think, 35 years on the bench. He's still the color commentator for the University of South Carolina basketball team, and he's just a really interesting guy who's had an extraordinary life but doesn't speak about it as if it's anything really extraordinary. I'm just impressed by his demeanor. Ironically, we went to the same sports camp for two weeks when I was around 12 and he was probably 13. And he bunked with a really close friend of mine, Johnny Ostro. They've remained friends all these years. I've known about Casey all these years and now he and I have become friends. But like most of our 3P champions, he's an extremely modest guy who's done some incredible things. And I think he just wants the best for everybody. Greg, what do you think about Casey? I loved him. First thing that stands out just from our conversation is his energy. You know, when he's talking the whole time, he's moving and shaking through his conversation with us. But he talks about the impact his parents made on him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he had a great academic and athletic career. Me being a basketball guy, it was great to hear about some of his legends that he's been around and to hear about his basketball background. And then obviously, you know, the impact he's made on so many that were underneath him in his practice as a judge. And we won't hear in the conversation, but if you look at his bio, he's got hundreds of awards and impacts and mentor awards. So I was fascinated by him. I loved his energy. What an amazing life. And uh, it was great to meet him. Thanks a lot, Rob. Well, you almost have to Google the guy to find out a lot of information about him because he doesn't boast at all. These days, since his retirement, he's having roads named after him and bridges and everything else. And his legal tree of his clerks have all gone on to do extraordinary things on their own. I'm sure he's proud of what he's done. Uh, he won't talk about it much, but I'm certainly proud of what he's done. So let's hear from Casey himself, whose name is actually Lee Casey Manning, but He's always gone by Casey. Here he is, Casey Manning. So Casey, incidentally, do you go by L. Casey Manning officially? Everybody calls me Casey, but that's my, you know, you know, L. Casey is what's on all my letterhead. And my uh -huh. you're, you're a judge. Now that has nothing to do with it. So is Pontius Pilate. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Casey, uh, I please, just, I just, can I ask this? Yeah. I don't want to be judged today. Uh, don't worry about it. I'm a judge, but I've never been judgmental. How's that? What were you like as a little kid? 
Look, I'm probably the same now at 71 that I was at seven. I don't think I've changed a bit. Uh, my DNA is still the same. I still probably talk the same. And I think most people that have known me over the course of my life will say, hey, you haven't changed a bit. And I, I, I think that's probably an accurate observation. I don't think I've changed that much. So how would you describe hey, I, yourself? How do I describe myself? I don't know. I'm a regular guy. I'm a regular guy that was raised right by my parents. I had two wonderful parents. My mother was a, a Pentecostal holiness person. My father was a Methodist. My mother would beat religion in your head. And some stayed, some didn't. But uh, they were principled people. They were very honest, hardworking. And what I am today is because of what I was taught. Learning at the, the kitchen table in the mornings and Christmas or, you know, Sundays and that sort of thing. What were some of your aspirations when you were seven? I'm not sure what I had. I, look, I used to look up at the sun and say, what will I be doing 50 years from now? Or the moon when I was a kid. What will I be doing 50 years from now, 40 years from now? I was taught and believed that you could do anything you wanted to do. And I was a, probably ninth grade. I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. Ninth grade? Yeah, they have the PSAT. You take yeah, the PSAT. I and I, I did really good on the verbal, not so good on the math. And I said, you know, I think I want to be a lawyer. Oh, yeah. But I always wanted to be that since I was a kid, you know, since ninth grade. But, you know, you, 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 you always the same thing. You look up at the moon and the stars and you say, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be a father? Am I going to have daughters? I'm going to have sons. You know, you don't know because they don't answer. But you, but you, got, had, you had some intention early, though, because most people don't know what that's going to do until the after the career's over, you, you knew at ninth grade. Well, yeah, 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 that, that's really true. And uh, a lot of people say to me, they say, come on, I'll put it this way. When I was getting ready to go to college and after then, I thought that one day I'll be 70 years old, 71 as I am now, and some guy named Robert Lindsay Stillwater, a nice Jewish kid from Roslyn, would be want to interview me about my life. I'm not surprised at any of this. I'm really not. You never know what's going to happen. I, you know, you got to be lucky. You know, I tell people, look, I, I've been fortunate enough to live my three score and 10, the Old Testament number. But you don't know how long you're going to live. None of these things are promised, and you cross your fingers and hope for the best. But I did think, as a kid at seven, that one day I'll be 70. Let's move ahead to, like, 13-year-old Casey. You starting to get some attention on the court? No, I started playing ball when I was maybe 13. But I really... You know, my, my, my father's like 5'10 and a half. My mother might have been 5'5 five, five or so. All my brothers are like 5'7 or 5'9. So I ended up being 6'2, basically, uh, the tallest one in the family. You know, if you have a family portrait, I'm head and shoulders above my – one sister's closer to my height, but I'm head and shoulders above all my brothers. They're 5'10, 5'9, 5'10. So I end up being 6'2. But I developed a love of basketball at about that time, 12 or 13, and the reason I did is because it's something you could do by yourself on your own. You didn't have to have anybody throw it to you. You didn't have to catch it. You could go play by yourself. And it's very important to be able to do things by yourself. Not that you're alone or anything, but it's something special about, and I can see the look in Greg's eyes. It's something special about being able to get a ball at 12 o'clock at night when you can't sleep and you go, you shoot in the moonlight. Or, I, I mean, it's just. You can something. dream. You can help you dream. Exactly. Greg, you can do it exactly. You can do it by yourself and hone your skills by yourself. And from there, you get a friend or a group of friends, and then you become, you take what you've learned individually and merge that with the group, so to speak. Just it out, I can see that Greg knows exactly what I'm talking about because he's been through it. And even you, hey, 
Lindsay, baseball players, we do the same thing, you know. You know. Sure, man. I'm yeah. pl- I'll play anything. So back to you, L. Casey. You said you said that's when you developed the love. How did it come about? I knew I didn't want to play football. You know, I played like everybody. I played baseball, uh, football. We all, you know, the community. Everybody played everything. And then around twelve or thirteen, I really developed this passion for um, basketball. I can remember I was eleven, ten or eleven. And I saved up all my money and I went and bought a basketball, a small one, okay? And I kept up part. I, I don't have it anymore, but I kept up all probably for 20 years. I saved up my money and went and bought a basketball. That's 10, 11, 12. So we're not ready. And, uh, and what happens, you develop a love of something. Like, I developed a love for fishing when I was a little kid. My father claims I caught my first fish when I was about 18 months old. And what you do, you, you practice, you learn. You learn how to fish to the right, to the left, out, in. You know, you cover the 360 degrees and you do the same thing in your mind when you when you love anything, you try anything, you do anything, regardless of whether it's basketball or the practice of law or anything else, you know. So global participation is something you love, if that makes sense. So who was the first coach who took an interest in you? A guy named Paul Glenn. He coached at Gordon High School. He ran the Criterion Recreation Center in Dillon. He's a fascinating guy. He played for Fort Bragg. 1959, he's quarterback for the Fort Bragg Army team. He actually got invited or drafted by the New York football giants in 1959, but they wanted him to play defensive back. He says, no, I'm a quarterback, and he declined the invitation. To wow. But he was uh, – he coached at Gordon High School. He won a state championship in uh, basketball and baseball. But never football. That was his best sport. It was really amazing. The year after he left, and I, I knew this guy growing up, Paul Glenn. He's a legend here at South Carolina from Union, South Carolina. Clifford Ray country, if you remember Clifford Ray. Oh, yeah. Cliff Ray. So Paul Glenn got out of the Army, and my oldest brother, Paul, who's like 10 years older than me, played. Uh, Gordon Hyde didn't have a football team for about three years. Paul Glenn comes back from the Army, and they won four or five games that year. But he coached my oldest brother, so he knew my family and knew me. And he was the first person really to take an interest in me as a basketball player because we had goals at this place, the Criterion Recreation Center. And uh, he saw me shoot one day, and he started taking an interest. And I never went to Gordon. I went to Dillon High. But he was the first coach. Since he, who was the first coach? A guy named Paul Glenn, who was a terrific human being. I mean, just a special special person. He was that way for everybody because everybody went to this place, the Criterion Recreation Center, people from all over the county, and he took time out and he would talk to you, he would help you. He was the first guy as a coach to take an interest to me as a basketball player. And not only as a basketball player, but as a person, if that makes any sense. It makes all the sense in the world. That's why we do this show, to talk about people like him. I mean, it's like we said before Greg came on, the impact coaches have on kids. Well, let me tell you a story parenthetically since you asked me about Paul Glenn. So this is like maybe 15 years ago. I'm holding court in Union, South Carolina, which is Paul Glenn's home. And he had coached at Gordon High, and went to Whitaker High in Conway. He goes back to his hometown. He becomes the first African-American principal of Union High School. He's on the city council, just alleged in Union. And so I'm holding court in Union, and I'm qualified to jury that morning. So I called some deputies up, and I said, go bring me Paul Glenn. So these deputies show up at Paul Glenn's office, and they said, they didn't tell him who I was. The judge said, bring you up the court. So you can imagine a room full of about 110 people or so in Union, South Carolina, and everybody knew who Paul Glenn was. 
So he comes in the back of the courtroom and he sees me on the bench. And I tell the story to the whole jury panel that I'm telling you now about Paul Glenn and what he meant to me growing up and everything. It was one of those special moments. That wow. And cool. so, so good for you, Casey. Yeah. show up and said, hey, the judge wants you at court. And of course, it was. Oh, my God. You're lucky you didn't have a heart attack when they came in. No, no, no. He was, uh, like I said, he played quarterback for Fort Bragg in 1950. All right. So still in high school. Yeah. You, you went there because geographically or? It was, yeah, geographically. It was like three blocks from where I lived. Gordon High School, you had to catch a bus to go on the other side of town. 1965 or so, it was the South. They had what you call freedom of choice. And I remember, like, talking about father and mother. And, you know, by, this is like 1965. I mean, everything is going on that you might recall that was going on. Not only in the South, but this was systemic all over the country. Oh, what's going to happen? They're going to burn your house. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. But my parents said, that's where you want to go. You want to go there. But the reason I went there, because I could walk there within 10 minutes, man. It had to do with geography more so than anything else. And that's the real reason why I went to Dillon High. Yeah, I could walk there. It sounds I like a smart there. idea to me. Well, you know, it made sense. And uh, Easy you know, like 1965, there were approximately 19 African-Americans that went to Dillon High School in 1965. And, uh, Out of how many total students? Probably 800 at the time. So 19 kids went. And then... The next year, some of those kids that went left, and so there's about 14. Then later on, more came. And then I started playing basketball my sophomore year. And a guy named Bob Rankin, who was a terrific football coach, and he was a good coach. That's why I went to Delaware High School, because it was three blocks from where I lived. Tell us about your experience at Dillon. I'm a uh, ninth grader. Me and my first cousin, a guy named David Manning, who, parenthetically, we used to play one-on-one -on -one all the time. That's really why I became a pretty good shooter in high school. He was like 6'4", great defensively. I couldn't hardly ever get a shot off over him. And he played. He played on the team for one year. But he was in the double-A section. He ended up being a junior marshal. That means you're in the top four or five academically in your class. And this was an unusual thing. At an all-white school, you get a black junior marshal yeah. in 1966. But he was my first cousin. And the fast forward a little bit, David Manning goes to Morehouse College on a scholarship, graduates number one in his class, and gets a full scholarship to Harvard Law School. But better than that, his cousin, Dr. Kenny Manning, Kenneth Manning, is a chair professor, chair professor at MIT, and has been so for the last 35 years. Man. So anyway, so that's how I started playing ball. Tim Cray, David Manning, my first cousin, my best friend at the time, uh, was on the team also. Didn't play much, but he's a terrific defender. And that's how I really learned to develop a jump shot and all that, because it was so hard to get around him and shoot over him. And we played so many times in the backyard or at the recreation center and other places. But our first year, let's say, we were pretty good. We beat a team called Ladder, who was coached by Eddie, I think of his name in a minute. But we hadn't beaten Ladder in basketball in 20-some years. But we beat that them. thing going to stop ringing? No, no, no. Oh, that was one of my former law clerks, DeAndre Benjamin. Hold on, I'll call her right back. Let me call her right back. This will be interesting. She was my fourth law clerk. She's a circuit court judge. She's right across the hall from me. You can edit this. You can cut this. Let me call Go her. Go ahead, man. Hello? Hello. Can you hear me? I, I got to warn you. I'm in the middle of a podcast with Robert Lindsay Stoller and Greg. So you're really part of a podcast now. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, what's up? Nothing. I just found out you. You've always been college check on me. Well, I, I'm, I'm concerned about you as always. This is my fourth law clerk. Can I ask you a question? This is great. Go ahead. What was it like working for this man? I never a dull moment. 
I believe it. I believe that. <laughs> so is that this young lady is a circuit court judge? Yes. Okay. She's my, all right, she's my fourth law clerk, right? D? Her husband was the mayor of Columbia, the first black mayor who just retired. He's going to teach at Harvard Law School. Wow. Blah, blah, blah. At any rate, so I just hope you're doing okay. Where are you this week anyway? Where are you hiding? <laughs> I've been in a two-week trial in Lancaster. Oh, gee, Wisdom. You have my sympathies. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm in the middle of this podcast, and uh, the phone rang. Have fun. I'll talk to you later. Judge Benjamin. Bobby. Judge Judge D, thank yeah. you so much for dropping in. I appreciate it. And uh, we may have you on one of these calls, because you sound pretty unusual yourself. Oh, she's terrific. All right. I'll, I'll see you in the morning, okay? All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, anyway, so she was my fourth law clerk. My second law clerk is Judge Carmen Mullen. Wow. She's a nice kid from Huntington Beach, California. She's a circuit court judge down in the low country. Man. You heard about the Murdoch case? Anyway. Anyway. So, and then my third law clerk is the prosecutor, the district attorney here, Byron Gibson. He's, we call him solicitor. Your tentacles are, it's like a coaching tree. This is a legal judge tree. Oh, yeah, kind of. I'm very proud of He's like Coach Wooden. I was recruited by Diddy Crump. School. Oh, I remember Dan. Yeah. yeah. Louisville? He was a uh, Wooden's assistant for like 15 years. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You see that. But anyway, there was a guy named Henry Bibby from North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Henry the name. And so uh, they thought I was a, another Henry Bibby. So, but I mean, I wasn't going to go to school in California. I would see my parents once or twice a year. You must have been pretty damn good at Dillon High School to get attention from Danny Crum. Well, I uh, probably, my sophomore year, I was, I think, 16 five. My junior year, I was 31-5, and my senior year, I was 35. Something like Damn. That. Yeah, something like that. When I was a junior, we won the PD Conference Championship, State of Myrtle Beach. We won that when I was a junior. And then when I was a senior, we won the AAA State Championship because they disbanded the old PD Conference. And that was the first time we competed for a state championship. That was 1969. Wow. But a, a, a really dear friend of mine, John Ostro, knows. We were juniors in high school. We go the Kutchers in Monticello, New York, the boys. Yeah. The Jewish Alps, uh, as campers. Greg <laughs> didn't catch that. The Catskills, they call the it the, Alps, Jewish Alps. the Jewish Alps. Yeah. I never heard them called the Jewish Alps. Oh, come on. Never. I never heard the Swartz, it. Swartz's I mean, every evening. They had the Kutch's Hotel. They had the Marie Stokes game there every year. Oh, Marie sure. Stokes. Oh, I went to that game. I was at Kutch's. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, Claire B., the great Claire B. Yes. Uh, LRU Brooklyn. He won 88% of his games. I mean, the all-time winning percentage in the history. But I, I got to know Claire B. very well and became friends with him. So I go up there as a camper as I was a junior. And the next two summers, I went to Kutcher's as a counselor. And I met a lot of people from everywhere. I mean, this one, Red Hoseman was at the Knicks, that Dick Barn. I, yeah, it was, it was, and that's when they had Woodstock. I mean, it's just about 30, 40 miles away. From yeah, the- I know. Yeah, well, you know all this stuff. Right. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know this stuff. But everybody called Claire B. Mr. B. And they, he created a 131 zone. He's a brilliant man. And uh, I always consider him very close to him. That's when Bobby Knight was in Army. And, and Knight absolutely idolized Claire B. And he dropped by the camp two or three times a month. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's okay. So Dylan wins the state championship. And then tell us who else you were recruited by and what you eventually decided to do and why. Well, the school I was going to go to was Davidson. Uh, they were the Southern Conference. And back in 1967, 68, 69, Davidson was rated ahead of Duke, UNC, and everybody else. 
And Lefty Drizelle loved me, and I loved Lefty. Lefty Drizelle, yeah. But in 1969, Drizelle leaves Davis, and I don't blame him, and touched the job at Maryland, okay? Yeah. And so for a while, Davis didn't have – it was a very good academic school, obviously. And they didn't have a coach for a while. My father was so disappointed I wasn't going to Davis. But they didn't even have a coach. So Davidson was my first choice. And I wanted to go to some place where I could major in political science because I wanted to go to law school. And I remember Bobby Roberts was the coach at Clemson. And he loved me to death. But in 1969, Clemson had one course in political science, political science 101. So, I mean. Yeah, you, you have nothing to look forward to. Yeah, you, you go to school for a lot of different reasons, but it's got to be global. It's got to be athletics. It's got to be academics. It's got to be cultural and everything else. Well, Columbia is the state capital. You know, I don't have the University of South Carolina, but you have Benedict College, Allen University, four or five black institutions, along with other colleges. Clemson, Pickens County, South Carolina, in 1969, had just built the McDonald's. But I love Bobby Roberts, but I knew if I went there, probably he wouldn't have his job. Now, Bobby Roberts, Lefty Drizel, Denny Crum, why did they all love you? I guess because... But he averaged 31 points a game. Well, you know, I, uh, I made uh, the Sunkiss All-American team. I mean, you know, this is 1969, and you got a lot of publicity, and you're African-American, your academics are good, so I get recruited by a lot of people. But why am I going to go to school in Tennessee or North Carolina? When I came to school at the University of South Carolina, everybody knew who I was because I was from South Carolina. Yeah. Wasn't Dean Smith also looking for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I talked to him. What's his name? came and saw me play. I was recruited by Dean Smith. It was 1969. Everybody knew who you were. In fact, uh, we, we played Tennessee Saturday. And uh, Rick Barnes remembers coming to a freshman game at the University of South Carolina. It was me, Kevin George, Danny Tradle, a guy named Jimmy Powell, and a, a dear friend of mine who played in a playing football named Jackie Brown. And we played Tennessee. They beat, they beat us pretty good in Knoxville a couple weeks ago. So after the game, he does the interview with the crowd. And he's walking by, he stops, and he starts talking. Hey, how you doing? You know, I remember seeing you and Kevin Joyce and all you guys playing. You were one of my favorite players. We talked about Charlie Davis in North Carolina, Charlie Scott, of course, Michael Lloyd. And this is when Rick Barnes, Rick Barnes has got to be about 65 or so. Now. He was at UT, right, for a while? Yeah, yeah. He was at Clemson. Clemson. did a great job there. His wife didn't like it. He goes to Texas for 17 years. And although I think he only missed one year making it to the big dance, yeah, you know, Texas. And so I, I saw him. We were talking after the game at uh, UT the other day, the other week. I said, look, all your, your last three top stops have been Orange, Clemson, Texas, and now Tennessee. And we had a good chat and laugh about all that. But, I mean, this is to you. Uh, how were you in 1969, Greg? I was uh, minus two. Okay, see? So. <laughs> is that an integer? Is that what they call that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a life not in being yet, or something like that. I, I do read. I do. I read a lot of stuff. I remember some history, but I wasn't there present. South Carolina had a pretty nice program when you were there. Well, we were number one in the country. Let's start with that. Number one in the country in 1969. I was a freshman. Me, Kevin Joyce, Danny Trader, Kevin Joyce, the All American, the Olympics. Kevin Joyce. Who was the next guy? Danny. Who? Danny Trailer was our seven footer from Greens. Well, yeah, from Greensboro, North Carolina. And Jimmy Powell, like a little shooting guard, went to, I think, All Hallows. What were you, the point guard? Yeah, he's a point guard. And, and then a guy named Jackie Brown, who came on a partial baseball scholarship from Jonesville, North Carolina. He's a black kid. He came on a baseball scholarship. He ended up coming out late for the freshman basketball team. He ended up being starting on that freshman basketball team with me, Kevin George, Danny Trailer, and Jimmy Powell. 
And then he goes out for football as a sophomore, and they gave him a full scholarship as a split in. He was a terrific guy, started three years, and got drafted by the Baltimore Colts, believe it or not. A tryout, he went up there, didn't make it. When he came back, became a famous preacher and singer in Winston-Salem. But we lost Jackie, God. Uh, how long ago has been? He was like 43 when he passed away. You know, you think about your life, and, and I'm, I'm in college. My best friend in high school was DP, who David Paul Bethay, who Don Arsenal still, still talks about David Paul Bethay. I know that name. And we went up there as campus. But, you know, you, you, when you're seven, like I was, you said, what do you do when you're seven or 13? You always think that your friend, like Arsenal or David Paul, you think you're going to be grandparents one day. You're going to be sitting on the front porch watching your kids play in the yard. And I always had this feeling about DP and Jackie Brown, but they both left me, man. Uh, mm-hmm. DP was like 43, Jackie Brown was like 45. And wow. still, that's a void in my life because my best friend, David Paul Bethay and I were in diapers together. We grew up one block from each other. And one of the reasons why we were so successful because he was a rebounder, and tough defender, and I was a shooter. So I scored all the points because DP got all the assists and the rebounds. I mean, stuff like that. Uh, and I stocked it in Malone in high school. We were that virgin, so to speak. But then, I got to tell you a story about DP. But I finally found out he was sick. He was in the hospital here in Columbia. Hmm. And my mother kept saying, you got to go see David Paul. I, uh, you know, we, we were 40-something. I wasn't worried about it. Then you really need to go see him. And I would seen him for a year. So he lived in Plattsburgh, New York. He went to the Air Force. It was the MP in Vietnam and all this. Anyway, uh, so I go see him in the hospital. I said, hey, DP, how you doing? I mean, without a hint of bitterness or feel sorry for myself or anything. He said, he said Calhoun, that was my nickname. That's what the guys on the team called me, Calhoun, because they misprinted my name in a newspaper when I was in 10th grade. So all the guys on the team called me Calhoun as the nickname. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. How you doing, DP? He said, Calhoun, I'm dying. Without any bitterness or any remorse or anything else. Uh, one of the toughest guys. And I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're doing this because I can talk about my dear friend, DP, Literally, we're in diapers together. Anyway, but he, he left me. Yeah, my dad told me a long time ago, he says, yeah. Greg, you want to be rich, you build some relationships. You'll never have anybody knows you like your brothers and sisters and your yeah. first friends. So even maybe, uh, you said you hadn't seen him for a while, but I'll bet you that guy was like, every time you saw him, it was like, always like it was. Well, you know, it's like this. He went to Vietnam. He's an MP in Vietnam. Let's say if it had been five or ten years since we'd seen each other, we still were the two kids in diapers, man. Nothing yeah. changed. Yeah. Nothing yeah. ever changed about me or DP, our relationship, we were always, to the very end, the two kids in diapers playing in the mud in the sand. And that's, mm-hmm. the, that, you know, that's, you know, you know that's even, part of my life. Okay? Even though he's gone and I know it left a void, you were lucky to, you're lucky to have that relationship, which still nourishes you today. Yeah. Any reason I would know that name, David Paul Bethay? We were campus, me and DP went to camp at Kutcher's. Oh, so... I didn't really know you, but I think I knew David Paul Bethay from Kutcher's. Look, we were, we were doing some drills one day at Kutcher's in a big stadium, and Louis Conasecki was there. Louis was a big friend. And see, I got a picture I'll send you later on, me and Louis, that Oscar took at St. John's about four or five years ago. So Louis, in front of all the campers, says, when DP and I were doing this drill, he says, like, take DP and Casey here. Hey, they ended up going to St. John's one day. This is when I was a junior nurse. <laughs> yeah. So I and, and I saw Louis. Oh, it's four or five years ago. We played St. John's up there, and uh, Bill Schaefer was just took a job. You know, you remember? The, oh yeah. Six five go. Anyway, so um, I go up to Louis in the stands, and I said, "Hey, lunch box, Louis." I said it because 
he was the manager of the baseball team when Coach McGuire, he coached basketball and baseball at St. John's. You know the story about the McGuire boys. But in baseball, he's a terrific – he went to the NCAA finals as a baseball coach. Really? Who did? Frank McGuire? Frank McGuire. Look it up. He took St. John's to the finals in baseball around yeah, 19- you know he coached baseball. Yeah, I'm wow. guessing around 1945, 1946. I didn't know that either. Louis was the manager for the baseball team. He always got everybody lunch. Lunchbox Louis was his nickname. So I'll go for the standard thing. Hey, Lunchbox Louis. And you can see the big smile come on his face because it went like the Coach McGuire. And St. John's baseball team, who uh, Mario Cuomo was on that team <laughs> in like 1946, 47. And this is too So, Coach McGuire wanted to make Mario a catcher. He says, No, coach, I'm an outfielder. And coach said, No, I'm taking your scholarship away from you. And Mario said, Hey, I'm on an academic scholarship. <laughs> Mario Cuomo got drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies ahead of Mickey Mantle. Wow. I never heard that. I'm trying to help you out here on this podcast. <laughs> well, he got a higher signing bonus for the Phillies than Mickey Mantle did with the Yankees. That's crazy. I could be wrong, but I, I'm, no, I'm, I bet you that I'm right. Now, now, didn't you play for Frank McGuire? Very good. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. Well, but he was at St. John's before. No, Frank was at St. John's. Then he went to North Carolina. And then he coached the Philadelphia Warriors for a year when Wilt averaged the 50 points a game. They moved to San Francisco. Frank didn't want to go to San Francisco because of his son, Frankie, was handicapped. So he took the job at South Carolina in 1965. Wow. Terrific teams. And when was, was Elgin Baylor around your time? Elgin Baylor was a little bit ahead of me. University of Seattle. Yeah. He was one of my idols. I mean, what a terrific player. I remember 1961 or two, he had 61 against the Knicks. And that, that, that record stood for a long time, maybe until Michael Jordan came along. But Elgin Baylor was the prototype pro you see today. I mean, he was that good. He could do everything. The beauty of his game. Was, you look at all clips of Elgin Baylor, he could do then what guys are just doing now. I mean, he was that good. And it was it's so sad the year they won a championship, he was hurt. Uh, when, you know, when the Lakers finally beat the Celtics with West. Yeah. So tell me about the decision to go to South Carolina. That left you out, left Davidson. I did all this research while I went to school. Uh, and so it was a place to go to university. It culturally, is a little bit more sophisticated than some of the other places I could have gone. And you had diversity with the black colleges here and all this. And plus, it's like a, now it's like about 45 minutes. Back then, it was about two hours from where I lived. And I was from the state, born and raised. And so it made sense to stay home rather than go someplace else. Now, I might would have had a better. Uh, athletic career someplace else, but I'm still in the Hall of Fame uh, and blah, 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 blah. I remember we beat Duke about four years ago, 2017, in Greenville, South Carolina, where everybody on the first team got drafted first round. Uh, even a sixth man, uh, Tatum and all these guys. They had the best talent, but we had a better team. Mm-hmm. And it means something when you have this free to core and you really love each other. I hate to sound like an old athlete, but yeah. You don't have to be as good if you have that tightness, uh, you know. So some teams have better talent, but not a, the team with, with the best chemistry generally is going to win the game. If you have. Well, you know, I would take I would take love of each other, chemistry, esprit de corps over talent. So many times you can you can win Absolutely. with that if that makes sense. 
So, well, if you're not going to bring it up, I guess I will. Go ahead. Weren't you the first brother to go to South Carolina to play? I was the first scholarship athlete. Mm. Yeah, it means a lot, but, you know, the one reason I wanted to go to Davidson because Mike Malloy was already at Davidson. I bonded with Mike Malloy when I went there. And they also had a kid named Lester Strong who was from Pennsylvania. So they had two black kids on the team already. And they were, they were good. And Lefty loved me, and I, I didn't particularly care about being the first African-American in the University of South Carolina to go anywhere else. So, you know, I, something stands out to me, Judge. You, huh? you, have, you have the energy. Like, I, we deal with Coach Dale Brown. We talk to him. I feel like he's 20. He's from Montana. Get out of here. Yeah. You're, the, you're, the, you're like the energizer. You're just energized. You make me just want to get him run, man. Are you always, are you always that energized? Uh, I think that's what my law clerk sitting beside me would say, everybody. Yeah. And she says, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, you talk about uh, you know, the old days, and you know McGuire. He knew Rupp. He knew Frank Sinatra. I mean, I go on and on. Rupp can fuck himself. But anyway, Rupp. Alf Rupp is recruiting Spencer Haywood. Oh, Spencer. Actually, Greg knows Spencer Haywood. Okay, and so the story goes that Rupp calls up Spencer, talks to him, and says, "Spencer, I want you to be the first nigger to play for the university." <laughs> that was his recruiting pitch. That's eight off. <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah, I'm making this up. Fuck that guy, man. You know, we lost we lost Joby Hall. Kentucky. Yeah. But he would come to all the games. I've been doing the color now for like 28 years. So wow. Joby Hall would always sit about three rows behind the visiting radio. So I used to go up and pick on him a little bit. Not pick on him, but to say hello. I, I admire and respect him. You know, he won two championships. So I remember finally uh, after a game or two that I'd seen him, I go up and said, hey, what is the B standing for your name anyway? He looked kind of nervous and said, yeah, why do you want to know? That's where you from. What county are you from? Anyway, so I became friends with Joe B. Hall. He was a terrific guy. He was a perfect ambassador to follow Rupp because he smoothed out a lot of stuff that Rupp had created. So no, what does no, no, no. the B stand for? Beeson. Joseph Beeson Hall. Beeson. What's, uh, with you? What's with you and the middle names? Nothing. <laughs> I go by my middle name. And people say, okay. They say, well, what's your middle name? I said, okay. She said, what's your first name? I said, I don't have one. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I tell you. I right, so, so obviously you have an interesting career. With, you know, you became a judge, which takes a lot of time. And your passion, obviously, basketball, took you a lot of, a lot of interesting people. How do you manage both, or how do you manage those two together? Well, I've been, um, I've been doing the radio for like 28 years, I think, and I've been a judge 27, something like that. So hold on. Uh-huh. You, you have what you call vacation days, annual leave days. Most of the games are played at night and on the weekend. So uh, in a given year, I might need to request four days during the week where I'm going to miss time because I'm away. You know, it's like you, 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 you fly it on Monday afternoon, you play Tuesday night. You fly it on Tuesday night, you play Wednesday. So I'm only going for one day. That happens about four times a year, maybe five. So that's four or five vacation days. And generally, I've had, yeah, I mean, just great cooperation from all our chief justices over the years. They approve your out-of-state travel and your vacation and all that. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've been lucky to be able to do both. Uh, you know, doing a basketball is therapeutic. You know, you, you're in court. I'll and bet. guys got to go to jail for life or this and that. And you go to a game, and they're like, oh, my God, he missed a free throw. And he's <laughs> It helps put things in perspective and keep you on an even kill and gives you something. Oh, I can see that's been very cathartic. It's been uh, th- therapeutic for me to do the basketball over all these years. That's a pretty extraordinary journey and a pretty balanced life. When you decided you wanted to be a lawyer, 
Did you have any aspirations or premonitions that you might someday rise to the level you have as a judge? I, I never wanted to be a judge necessarily. And I, I was telling somebody this just the other day. It came quite by accident. I live in, I'm born and raised in Dillon. I went back and I practiced law my first five years in Dillon. And the prosecutor, the solicitor, or DA in the fourth circuit was a guy named Dupree Miller. And I became friends and adversaries with him when I was practicing law there. But we, 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 we stayed friends over the years. What were you, a defense attorney? Yeah, I was a defense lawyer. Uh, but I was a part-time prosecutor for the city of Dillon. And, and then when I left Dillon, I stayed in five years. I took a job as a prosecutor with the attorney general's office. Well, Dupree Miller... After he retired from being solicitor, he ran for the board of trustees at the University of South Carolina. You're elected by the state legislature. So Dupree, my friend, comes to me. I'm living in Columbia now. Uh, well, that's what an attorney general's office is. And he said, Case, I want to be on the board of trustees. You know anybody up there? Can you help me? So I went to the state house several times to introduce Dupree Miller to people I knew that was in the House of the Senate. And uh, so after about a week or so, I get phone calls. I said, what are you doing up here? I said, well, I'm helping my friend. Dupree Miller, he wants to be on the board of trustees. I said, no. No, you want something. What do you want? I said, I don't want anything. So I started getting calls. Do you want a judgeship? Literally. I backed into this job because I was helping my friend run for the board of trustees. I knew a lot of legislators. Most of them were Carolina fans. They all knew who I was. So Dupree got elected to the board of trustees. And after several phone calls and some pushing and urging, I ran for a judgeship about a year later. But uh. no, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be a judge necessarily. I always tell people, it ain't easy being Pontius Pilate. I might have mentioned that earlier. So I sort of backed into this job as a judge. I can, I can promise you. What are, the, what are the, some common characteristics that you have to use as a, as a judge, as a, as a coach or a player? Uh, you got to have discipline. They both involve a lot of hard work. And that's what I always want. I want to be a fair lawyer, honest, decent. You don't need to lie, cheat, or steal, or do anything. You want to earn everything you get. I've always been that way as a lawyer, as a player, and as a judge. But the problem is, what is fair? You want to be fair, but the difficulty is how do you decide what's fair and what's not? And that comes from hard work. Really hard work, experience, analyzing things. It's like a scouting report on the team. You do a scouting report. Who are the lawyers? Who is this? What is he charged with? How does that compare with something else? It's easy to send somebody to jail for a long time or the maximum. The most difficult thing is how do you treat him fairly? It's like because you're charged with the same thing doesn't mean that you should be sentenced to the same thing, the charge. If, if there's an armed robbery, did you have the gun? Did you hit somebody? Were you in the car? Were you the accomplice? Did you even really know about it? But you could be charged with armed robbery. The hand of one is the hand of them all. And all these things you have, it's just like preparing. You have to prepare for a trial like you do for a game as a lawyer and as a judge. Attention to detail. It's like my law clerk sitting here. She knows it drives me crazy when somebody is saying, well, I got this. I say, okay, if you do, show it to me. Well, I don't have it with me. Well, when can you get it? You know, you, know, you got to be disciplined. You got to pay attention to detail and you try the best you can. I guess that's the common thing between coaching, playing, or doing anything else. In life. Yeah, in life. I mean, forget basketball or, or being a judge. That's the way you have to approach getting up in the morning. You, you do the best you can, man. You know? Bring your best effort. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I got to ask you about somebody else that intrigues me to yeah. the highest level. Don Staley. Let me tell you something. I've watched her grow. I've watched her grow the last 12, 13 years as a person and as a coach. But she's blossomed and grown. 
And she's right now probably the best coach in America. I would say hands down. It's remarkable what she has done. For anybody listening to this, what are some of the principles you would share with people? You know, if somebody's looking for a little direction or inspiration. What feels right is generally what is right. Let your conscience be your guide. Let your heart lead the way. You can know all the law. You can know all the facts. And sometimes it's still very difficult to make a fair decision. And that's when you let your heart lead. We've spoken with so many coaches and teachers, and invariably, I'll ask them where empathy fits into their scheme of life. What does the word empathy bring about with you? Well, I, let me tell you a story. I was uh, about 12 years old. My father and I were in a truck going home from somewhere. I don't know. We, started to, we stopped at the A&P grocery store. And there's a guy named Red Bethay. He went to Clemson. And he was a segregationist. He was in the House of Representatives, State House of Representatives for a year or so, and he was running again. And I know my father didn't particularly like this guy, okay, for a lot of different reasons. But anyway, we go in the store. This guy's passing out literature. And he passed it to my father, saying, I hope you vote with me, my father. So he can say, I will consider. We go in the store. We come out. We're driving home. I said, Dad, that was Red Bethay. Why did, why did you do that? He said, Casey, you should try to be nice to everybody. Wow. We have an old expression back in Dillon County. If you let somebody know you don't like them, you can't get close enough to them to help them. Man. You're doing the others to go to the room. You try to treat people the way you want to be treated. I still feel like you're being guided by the principles of your parents. They were special people. They were really, really smart. They were really, really hardworking. And most of all, they were honest. And you have to be honest with yourself before you can be honest with anybody else. And they were generally honest with themselves. Hey, listen, Casey, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Judge, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Judge. You're My amazing. pleasure, Greg. Rob, All right, you later. Love you. Greg. All right. I'm glad that we feel closer now. You are a modestly remarkable guy. I know you don't pat yourself on the back too often, but you've achieved excellence in a number of fields. You're well thought of. You're well respected. I think you're an exemplary guy. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. I appreciate your kind words. How's that? Casey, take care. Well, thanks all for listening today. I hope you enjoyed listening to Casey as much as we enjoyed presenting him. He's a modest and extremely accomplished guy. I just think Casey is a terrific individual, great human being who's had a terrific career and impact on people and doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about himself. Greg. Yeah, it was fun to listen to Casey. Um, obviously, I mentioned it before the show, but his energy... Uh, I think that was confirmed by, if you listen to the the uh, judge that called in, who was his understudy, yeah, she mentioned that was never a dull moment with him because yeah. he's always got something going. But he referred to a couple of things that stood out to me. One is like, you know, how did he become who he, he was? And he definitely credited his parents. And his parents, he mentioned, were hardworking, honest, loving. And they had seven children, and every one of them got their education. And obviously, Casey being one. So I thought that was probably a great impact on him. I think his dad said it was it was important to be very nice to everybody. He said that if you don't like somebody, don't tell them that, because then you'll never be able to get close enough to help them. Mm. And that was pretty interesting, meaning that there's always an opportunity to be nice and help somebody else. And then, uh, you know, obviously his accolades as an athlete and as a judge, as a career he, I think he's a fascinating human being. I guess he's retired now. And, and so anyways, it was great, Rob. Thanks for bringing him to the table. Well, I know he was a great player. And I think he had to be a great judge because he speaks from the heart. He doesn't mince words. He tells the truth. And I think he's recognized for that kind of honest fairness. And as you said, I think his parents' wisdom 
still guides him to this day, as he, I think, proudly admits. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Come back next week for another extraordinary 3P champion. Greg, you're the best, as always. Ah, Rob, well, you know you are. <laughs> Come on, man. I love you. All right, Later. everybody. Take care now.